This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. All right, we want to get to work tonight as we study the mighty book of Revelation. And so I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 2. And we have just now crossed over into this particular chapter. We left off last Wednesday night with verse number four, and we want to pick back up uh, where we left off. All right, so I want to I want to go back and let's see and let's let's start at the beginning since we're only in uh, verse four, going into verse five tonight. But uh, I think it's worth reading again, perpetuating us into the study. So let's go to Revelation chapter 2. And uh, let's pick up with verse number 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, and who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now obviously I'm not going to take time this evening to reteach everything we talked about last week, and there was an explanation with these symbols and signs, but uh, we need to press forward. And so, just by the way of introduction, I want to reread these verses. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou cannot bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. And has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. So, what we have here, as we are looking in this particular study, we have a complementary. Uh, it's sort of like a loving comment and it's a celebration of steadfastness. Jesus said, listen, there was a time when you were sticking by the stuff where you were doing everything you were supposed to be doing. You were crossing your T's, dotting your I's. And Jesus doesn't leave any of those precious memories out. He takes his time and he covers all of these details and gives us a precise reflection of how this early church existed and what they were doing in the early days of their, their ministry. They were workers, Jesus said. They had fainted not. They had persevered. Jesus said, you're the real deal. And so he took some time and he complimented them and then he began to bring all of what he had just said into almost a slow motion because in the same breath that he had as the uh, admonition to this church of Ephesus and his commending them for their wonderful status as believers, he also slowed things down and he began to criticize them. This was with a godly criticism. 
And he brought it to a place in verse four. He said, because you've left your first love. And uh, there's no doubt in my mind when I study this, it is a reflection on the things that they had been doing and the closeness that they had with him and their love and their gratitude for those who made their ministry profitable, a success. And Jesus said, you know, there were times when I looked at you and I just smiled. But he said, nevertheless, now things have changed. He said, I've got something against you. Look at that. You know, that's a bad spot to be in when the Lord Jesus himself has something against us. And so I think that perhaps there was a time when they meant everything with purity, sincerity of their heart. But somehow through the course of time, they began to drift away. And I will tell you that if we're not careful as believers, that can happen to us as well. So let me ask you this question tonight. Has there ever been a time in your life when you were closer to God than what you are right now? Think about that. Because I will tell you this, when you say, yeah, but that was then, this is now, and things have changed, I will tell you, God doesn't change. He said, I am the Lord God and I change not. If anything has changed through the years, it's been us. He cannot, he will not change. And so I believe when he's addressing this church in Ephesus, he's giving them wonderful compliments, but then he's slow motioning things down and he's saying, nevertheless, he is saying, but let me emphasize something here. And he begins to tell them, I've got something against you. Perhaps... These people, they had got away from the main things that had made their ministry great. I don't know exactly what it was, but Jesus did. He said, you've left your first love. He ought to be our first love. He ought to be everything about who we are here at Buford Road. If we ever get to the place where This ministry, we feel in our hearts, has become more important than him. Or we come to church for every kind of reason you can imagine other than him. Believe you me, he knows how to change things real, real quick. Perhaps these people left the fundamentals. Perhaps they left their doctrines, perhaps they left their love for the Lord. Maybe, just maybe, they started serving the Lord for all of the wrong reasons. And somebody might say, is it possible to serve the Lord with a wrong motive, with a wrong reason? I assure you that's possible. In fact, I want to show you a passage of scripture in Matthew 23 and verse number five. Here is the thing. 
We can be so involved at what we're doing and do it so rigorously. We can do it so passionately, but at the same time, we can get so caught up in what we're doing that truly he is not the main focus of what we're doing. If it ever becomes more about programs and about policies and about uh, those kind of ideologies and stuff, if it ever gets to where it's more important to you about stuff than it is him. Because he said this in the word, he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men nigh to me. Some, I believe, when he said, you've left your first love, some, I believe, had started to serve in the ministry for the wrong reasons. Look at this verse right here. But all their works, they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their, I don't know the proper, David, you read all the long words for us. Read that word for me. What does it say? Yeah, that's what it says. And enlarge the borders of their garments. Verse six. I don't have that back there written down for you guys, but let's go to verse six. Verse six. There you go. And love the uppermost rooms and feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues. Let's go to seven. I'm throwing them a huge curveball here. And greetings in the markets and to be called of men, rabbi, rabbi, let's go to verse eight. But be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all your brethren, in verse nine. And call no man your father upon the earth. Wow. For one is your father which is in heaven. Now, the thrust of these passages of scripture teaches us this incredible truth that if what we're doing, and I'm talking about from A to Z in the ministry, if what we're doing is for the praise and the approval of men, Jesus said, you have your reward. If you're doing it for the handshake, if you're doing it for the pat on the back, if you're doing what you're doing to be lifted up, exalted, to be praised, to be spoken of, to be seen, to be heard, any of that stuff, Jesus, okay, you've got your reward. But there are consequences to that. You know, some of the most wonderful Christians that I know on the earth serve the Lord so passionately, so lovingly behind the scenes. Most, most of you, and they say Wednesday night is a backbone of the church, most of you never, ever, ever know who did what. There are people that work behind the scenes in our church. I'm talking about during the week, sometimes at night, sometimes on the weekend. 
And I don't get up here and mention their name. I don't get up here and talk about them. I don't get up here and say, oh, brother so-and-so, oh, sister so Now, there are folks who, who live for that. Jesus said, you have your reward. But some of the most devoted Christians I know sometimes walk these hallways, walk outside, and do things early hours of the morning, late hours of the night. And let me tell you this. It's not just me who recognizes that kind of thing, but God is keeping the score. God knows. And I assure you that he's not a debtor to anybody. Maybe these people in Ephesus had left doctrine. Maybe they had left him. Maybe they had left the reason why they were working and serving in the church. Maybe they were working for their reputation. They wanted to be known among the people or known among the communities. By the way, memory's a wonderful thing. When I read this passage of scripture, you have left your first love. Let me ask you this question. Do you remember the joy that you had when you first got saved? I mean, when you first got saved. Somebody had been praying for you. Maybe somebody was praying with you. You remember the day, perhaps, and listen, tears are not evidence of salvation. I don't want to mislead anybody. There's nothing wrong with tears and salvation. I know many people have cried when they got saved and to God be the glory, but I will tell you that tears are not the evidence of salvation. But do you remember perhaps when you got saved and you did shed tears and you cried and you said, Lord God in heaven, thank you for rescuing my, my pitiful soul from Hell, thank you for saving me. Thank you for your amazing grace. She played so well a while ago. And we had this passion that when you got saved, the first thing you wanted to do was to tell somebody. I can remember when my father got saved. One of the first things he did when he got saved, he went, to tell my grandfather that he had just got saved and it cost him everything. My grandfather looked at him and said, you're no longer my son. But one of the first reactions you had when you got saved is you wanted to tell somebody. How in the world could any of us conceal the joy and the passion that we had when we got saved. I remember when, when I asked the Lord to come into my heart, when the, and it didn't happen in Sunday school. It didn't happen in church. It didn't happen in vacation Bible school. It happened at home. And one of the first things I wanted to do, within five minutes, I wanted to call my pastor and say, I just gave my heart to Jesus. That, that's what... That's the joy of salvation. That's what typically happens. We want to tell somebody because what we want them 
to know is not only we got saved, but somehow we want them to feel the same joy and the same passion and the same relief, the forgiveness of sin that we have experienced. But Jesus said this to these people, you've left your first love, you forgot your first love. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people today. Many folks have forgotten the thrill of Jesus when they first met him. I'm not talking about from the first time you heard stories about him. We've all heard stories about him. There's probably not a person in here tonight that could not tell the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Probably everybody in here tonight, maybe in various words, but I think everybody in here tonight could tell the story of Daniel and the lion's den, David and Goliath, Jonah and the whale. We could all tell these stories, all of us. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the time you met Jesus in a personable way. But through the years, things happen and things move us away from that tender, warm, humble place. And years become compounded with years and time. And before you know it, that warm, passionate, tender place in our heart and our life has become cold and callous and indifferent. But here's the thing Jesus says. In verse number five, he's not only telling this church at Ephesus to remember their first love. He is saying, listen, I want you to remember what it was like to walk with me and to fellowship with me and, and to be harmonious and, and all of that Jesus saying, I want you to remember because you have got away from it. He said, I want you to think back the way that it was. But that's not all he said. Look at verse number five. Remember, he said, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. He's saying, you know, and I know how things are today. You know, and I know how things have changed. You know, and I know how things used to be. And so he's not only telling this church at Ephesus to remember what it was like, what they had left, but in verse number five, he says, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, he said, and repent. So he comes from this great admonition of praise. He is saying, I hadn't forgot a thing. You, you all did. You did wonderful works. But he said, you got away from it. You left your first love. He says, I've got something against you and I want to talk to you about it. He says, remember the way that it was? And he said, repent from this evil place that you're in now and get back to your first love. And so he admonishes them to remember and to repent. And they are admonished to go back and do the first works. And then Jesus gave a great warning here. He said this, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Get back to where you were, get busy like you used to be busy. And then he says this, and this is, this is really an eye-opening statement Jesus says. He says, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick 
out of his place except thou repent. Now, let me say this about the body here. Because, and, and not only here, but the body of Christ. If a church loses its vision and its main determination to exalt the Lord Jesus and to lift him up above everything and to do what he has commissioned us to do, and that is to spread the gospel. If a church gets away from the main things, there's a, a serious consequence here. And Jesus said, unless you repent, I'm going to remove, notice that, thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. You know, this is what I firmly believe and I, as long as I have been the pastor here and many years before that here as an associate pastor, almost getting close to 50 some years serving the Lord, most of which here, this is what I firmly believe and it's a passionate conviction and that is this. If we ever get to the place where we are not concerned about shining the light, shining the light of Christ, shining the light of the gospel, shining the light of a witness. If we ever let anything take place over those things, I believe this. If we ever get to the place where we're unwilling to shine the light, God may take the light from us and give the light to somebody else who's willing to let it shine. There's an Old Testament passage in reference to that, and it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 21. They'll get the scripture on the screen. Here it is. Look at this. And uh, I've got the wrong verse here. Oh, no, there it is. That's what I want you to see at the top. And she named the child Ichabod. And this is what the word Ichabod means. The glory is departed. From Israel. If we ever get to the place where we allow things to take place of him, he can and he has in ministries all across the world. Write Ichabod on the doors of the church, which means that his glory has departed, which means that if if we get away from the main things, he can take our light. He can take the light that we have been assigned to shine and give it to somebody else. It's a dark day when God writes Ichabod on a ministry. Those are hair-raising words, so to speak. Now, verse number six comes to us with um, a lot of thought and a lot of study necessary to go into this, but it, it's profound and, and Jesus is still speaking. And he says, but this thou hast, that thou hast, look, notice this, thou hast hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. 
This, this verse of scripture took some study and took some time to reference and cross-reference. But the Nicolaitans, they were people who had crept into the ministry and they had sort of like set themselves up as holier-than-thou people in the church, sort of like super spiritual people. And I, I, here's what I believe in my heart, I firmly, and I've said this many, many times in many, many different sermons and teachings, and that's this. I believe that there is only one Holy Spirit, only one. And because I believe that there's only one Holy Spirit, I cannot as the pastor be your Holy Spirit. And you cannot be my Holy Spirit. And that means this, that there may be things in your life, now we can never ever disagree on doctrine. But there may be things like convictions. You may have a conviction or a persuasion or a preference that I don't have. And you may have one that you can take or leave. I may have convictions or preferences of things that you don't have and vice versa. That doesn't make you right and me wrong or me wrong and you right. Because you have to answer to the Lord. I don't have to answer to the Lord for you other than the fact if I quit preaching the gospel, there is great accountability on me. But here's the thing. You, you might have convictions in your family and your home that you have adhered to all your life. You were raised in a church that did this. You were raised in a church that didn't do that. And so you're acquainted with that, you're familiar with that, you've come to grips with that, you've accepted that, and that's who you are. And then through the years, you have gone into different ministries, so you're here, and there may be things we do here that you didn't grow up with. And I can tell you this, that if it's not against the word of God, none of us, either one of us, can point our fingers at each other and say, you're wrong and I'm right. Oh, that's a sin and that's not. There's one Holy Spirit. And the word says that he will guide us in all things. He will guide us in all truth. Now, we, there's no doubt in my mind, we all have different preferences. We all have different convictions. We have different passions. That's all wonderful. That makes us unique in the body. And the word says that we're all put together. We are his workmanship all of us can't preach, all of us can't sing, but some do, some clean, some teach, some preach, some play instruments. God has brought us all in here with various gifts and spiritual talents and so forth, and he's put us in the body to exalt him, to lift him up, to preach the gospel, to win the lost, to evangelize the community. That's why we're here. So I've always had this perception of pastoring, and that's this. You don't have to give an account to me for anything. Now, obviously, God's not the author of confusion, and God does 
And his word, I believe, teaches us that we, we have to have structure and we have to have order in the church and those kind of things. But there's not a person in our body, in our family, in our fellowship that has to answer to me for anything. None of us. We have a responsibility to one another, to pray for one another, to lift up one another, to forgive one another, to walk. Those, I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about a passionate conviction that you have. You think about this. A, com- a conviction is different than a preference. And a conviction and preference is different than doctrine. We, we have to agree on doctrine. But there may be things that you tolerate that I wouldn't or couldn't and vice versa. As long as it's not contrary to the Holy Spirit. And I'm not the one that says what you do is or what you do isn't. And it works the same way. We are accountable to him. One Holy Spirit. And it should be all of our goal to walk in a way that pleases him. Now, we're going to get into something really, really wonderful. I think this is a great spiritual truth. Verse number seven. I, I took some time to really park on this verse. And we're going to see some things in this verse and in a couple of verses that come that really tie verse seven into a lot of dynamics, but I want you to look at this. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, to him that overcometh, now this is amazing, look at this now. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life. This is amazing. Now, you might want to underline those words in your Bible, tree of life. And then it said, we're going to come back to that, which is in the midst of paradise, midst of the paradise of God. Now, real quickly here, paradise is mentioned three times in the word of God, three times in the New Testament. And Luke chapter 23, verse number 43, we find an instance where this word paradise is mentioned in the scriptures. This is talking about the thief on the cross. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The second place the word paradise is mentioned in the scripture is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 4. Look at this. And Paul is talking. He said, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, and let me stop and say this. This has nothing to do with my Bible study tonight, or, and, but I feel that it's, it's worth mentioning. Because I know that there are certain television preachers who believe... I. The other night, I just could, I could not believe it. 
it was almost entertaining, but it was repulsive. I could not believe this. And you, you, you know him well. But he got on the television and he was talking about the time that Jesus took him to heaven. And he said that he was in his hotel room after preaching an evangelistic meeting in a church. He said he couldn't sleep. And he said God was wrestling with him and he went into all of that. And he said the next day he was going to meet the pastor of the church for lunch. He got at the dinner table and he said they ordered the food. He was starving when he went in there. But he said God spoke to him and said, you need to leave the dinner table. You need to get back to your hotel room, get down on your knees and start praying. And he said he did. And he said in the midst of all of that stuff, God came, Jesus came, spoke to him and took him to heaven. And he said, he was, God took him into heaven and he got to see the angels and he got to see Peter, James and John and he got to hear all this music and all, this was just phony baloney. And the man is, I mean, he is going on and on and on with this. I could not believe the words that were coming out of his mouth and the story that he was telling. I don't believe for anything he could tell that same story twice. I don't believe that God is in the business of taking us to heaven and giving us some manifestation and, and sending us back here and then putting us on a TV talk show to talk about it. And the reason I don't believe any of that is because of this verse right here. This is what Paul said. He said he was caught up into paradise and he said, I heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for Amanda. He said this, I cannot talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it. He said, I cannot go into it. He is the only man that I know of with a testimony like that. But listen, I don't believe anybody that tells me that God's taken them to heaven Literally, I'm not talking about in a dream. We've all dreamed about heaven. We've thought about heaven. We've read about heaven. We've sang about heaven. But none of us have actually been there. Don't waste your money on those books and tapes and magazines and CDs. It's not true what these people say all over the country. Selling all this stuff. They're peddling the gospel. Number three, the third time paradise is mentioned is in Revelation chapter two, verse number seven in our study where we are tonight. Now, I wanna go back to the tree of life because a, a serious misconception about the tree of life, I've heard people say that the tree of life is heaven. The tree of life is not heaven. And I'm going to show you that as we study the scriptures. Now the tree of life is in heaven, but the tree of life is not heaven. Now let me say this about the tree of life. There is going to be a restoration of the tree of life in eternity. By the way, man was forbidden to eat. You think about this in the garden. Do you know when God said you cannot, you cannot eat of this tree? tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, you cannot do that. 
And after the fall of man, they, they were permitted to eat of the tree of life in the garden, but after the fall, they could no longer partake of that. And I want you to see this scripture in Genesis chapter three, verse 22 and verse through verse 24. And I want you to see how much God meant his word. And the Lord God said, behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Verse 23, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden to till the ground from whence he was taken in verse 24. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. When man committed the sin in the garden, God said, you're no longer going to be able to eat of this tree of life. You're not going to be able to do it. And, and he went to great lengths to make sure that that did not happen. And let me say this. When, when, when you think about where God had placed man in the Garden of Eden and all the luxuries and the wonderful environment and, and the the place where there was not sin and that that early early phase of humanity it was an incredible experience but when man disobeyed god when adam and eve disobeyed god he drove them out of the garden and he said you're not coming back in here and you're not going to partake of the way of the tree of life i want to come back to this i got to stop here in just a minute there's something very, very special about the tree of life. Probably not many have ever seen it and read it in the context that I'm going to give it to you. But I want you to look at this passage now. Again, in verse seven, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, that's important. To him that overcometh, there's a condition of partaking of this tree of life that's going to be restored in eternity. It's not just a given. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life. Look at that. I want you to look at this word overcometh. So in closing tonight, I want to say this and I want to remind you that we're saved by grace. None of us can work to be saved. What does this word overcometh mean? Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine teaches us this, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. There's not one single thing we can do to save ourselves, to be saved. And then in Titus chapter three, verse number five, it reinforces that scripture, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. There is absolutely nothing you can do, I can do to make myself saved. There, there is no ordinance, there is no sacrament, there is nothing I can do to be saved. 
This, this is of the grace of God, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So salvation cannot be earned. However, living a victorious Christian life is our responsibility. That's, that's what he has for us. That's what he wills for us. That's what he wants for us. And we'll stop here and pick it up next Wednesday night, Lord willing. But again, you, you will not want to miss this spiritual truth about the tree of life. We'll show you. We'll talk about it, Lord willing, next Wednesday night. Good place to stop here. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, Visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.